Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Welcome to our podcast series, The Transformational Impact of Data on Business. And with our episode today, the evolution and the revolution of RPA. And today I'm honored to have Rob Uch in our podcast, and he's the VP and Head of Marketing in Europe for Automation Anywhere. Rob, maybe you can give a short introduction about yourself. Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks very much, Ronald. So, yeah, it's uh, Rob Hughes here from Automation Anywhere. I joined the company three years ago after around a 15-year stint in the analyst community. I worked with many uh, esteemed analysts and uh, actually started the first uh, research practice into RPA and uh, service optimization technologies with Sarah Burnett from uh, Everest Group. So I have about uh, seven years history in, in, in the market now. That's quite a lot for a very young market, I think. I'm Ronald Van Loon, and I will be the host today. I'm also a director for my data analytics consultancy firm. I'm also a course advisor for Simply Learn for the big data analytics and AI courses. Um, I've created a series of, of courses for business leaders and C-levels, um, how to succeed in the intelligent economy. And I'm honored to be awarded as a top 10 global influence and thought leader by companies like Analytica. And for everybody who wants to be successful in this intelligent economy, we'll be giving away some different types of AI strategy coaching series with the value of $1,500 per, per coaching series um, at the end of the podcast. So stay tuned, then you can benefit from this. But let's kick off. Today, we're going to talk about RPA, the evolution and the revolution. RPA, what we see in the market is really taking off last year and, and it's fairly new in the marketplace, um, I think for, for most listeners. So... Let's get some better view on this, what it really is about. So Rob, you have quite some experience in this this domain already, seven years you mentioned. Can you explain what robot process automation is and especially why it is so important to learn about it right now? Sure, no problem. So uh, robotic process automation, it's like any other IT automation. It's automation of mundane tasks or repetitive tasks within everybody's workplace. If we think about how different systems don't talk to one another and we have to connect them up normally through a systems integration project or through APIs. What RPA does, it works through the user interface and through the user interface, we're able to tap into all applications and it's about the processing of structured information across these systems. Yes, it makes it very clear. And then if you then look where we need some clarification, I think, is the confusion sometimes around RPA and its connection to AI, to artificial intelligence. So can you explain the difference between RPA and between AI and also how AI is applied in the domain of RPA? Sure. RPA deals with, as I said, very structured information. So information coming out of systems like ERP systems or CRMs or even web applications. But the information has to be structured. And um, it also works with things like Excel, where you have a lot of tables and structured cells, etc. So RPA works very well with that. AI in the business context, because AI is everything nowadays, has some <laughs> form of AI in it. We're not using self-driving cars when I talk about this. We're talking about taking unstructured or semi-structured data. So things like PDFs, emails, even written invoices and so on, that type of information is, is, is traditionally quite hard to read. It's very unstructured. But AI in this sense just takes the information, 
puts it into a structured format and then hands it over to the RPA bot, which then runs the process or the uh, the mundane part of the process, I suppose. So AI is still in development and business, and it's much more than, I know I've given a description of almost an OCR engine, but it's much more than that. You, you start to uh, uh, go into the depths of NLP and um, uh, fuzzy logic, etc. So AI is still in development, but it deals with unstructured or semi-structured data, whereas RPA deals with the structured information. Yeah, where let's say the AI part is the, the intelligent part, and every software vendor, as you mentioned, integrates machine learning applications and AI applications in their processes. And there's also this term called intelligent RPA, um, where I think... AI is suffused with, of RPA is suffused with, with AI. And there's not only use for automation, but also for intelligent decision-making. What type of applications do you see already for this intelligent um, RPA? Maybe you can explain a little bit more in depth from what it is and, and how it will develop the coming coming years, coming months. Yeah, sure. I mean, if we think about, you know, RPA dealing with highly structured data. So at spreadsheets are a great example because everybody kind of understands how that information is displayed. So in an Excel or whatever form of Google Docs, whatever it might be. I suppose today's AI is tomorrow's RPA. I know that sounds a bit weird because we're such a new market. But um, when you think about it, that's really what's happening. So and um, parts of OCR are being pulled into RPA now, and it's, you're starting to see some vision recognition across different fields and different uh, documents and so on. So you can deal with things that are perhaps online rather than structured out of a out of a database or out of a data pool. I think that RPA is going to continue to develop to be a much more powerful tool. And as I said, you know, today's AI is tomorrow's RPA because we have to continually develop the product. Although the market is is relatively new with regards to how we look at it commercially, this type of information or this type of offering has been around for quite a while. The companies have been struggling to automate. I think what's happening now is we're starting to create rules across those automations. So what do you do with the data once you get it? For example, if you're in a call center and you're dealing with uh, multiple databases, your company may have made multiple acquisitions and you're supporting different customers, and different customers are, 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 are tapped in or their information is in various databases, for example, an energy company. And uh, say so you have gas, electricity, and water, um, all in different databases. What happens when you call through and ask for your, uh, you know, how am I doing this month? Am I on the right tariff? What happens is, let me just put you on hold. And it's 30 seconds of, of music, uh, which feels like three minutes. And all the people are doing is just tapping into the different databases and trying to access the information so they can come back to you with an answer. Well, some of our customers are using it. As soon as you phone through, it recognizes the bot recognizes your telephone number. It accesses the databases immediately and pulls it up onto a single screen for the for the operator. So when they pick up the telephone, they have a full view of exactly what your energy footprint looks like. Now, intelligent automation can take that a step further, and this is a very simple application of it, but you start to put rules behind this to say, well, if this, um, if this customer is not using the amount of gas that they're paying for, you need to recommend that they go on to. So there's a, you start to have this conditional um, decision-making, still very formatted decision-making, but it's, it's, it's intelligent in that it offers the best solution um, based on the information that it has, so it calculates, as it were and comes up with the best offer. So 
that's helped reduce call times by around 30% and drive up customer satisfaction because they're not spending as much time listening to, to background music. So hopefully that's a clear enough example of, uh, I suppose, how intelligent automation and intelligent RPA is starting to evolve. Yeah, and I really like the example because it makes it really tangible and then quite clear what, what the benefits are. Maybe you have some more success cases and, and business applications, how it is deployed nowadays. Because it's so successful, there must be great cases. Yeah, there, there's some amazing cases. I mean, one of our customers in the US, they're a, a big telecoms company. Uh, I won't say anything more than that, but they ran the program. They've been a customer for quite a while, um, probably I think about five years now. And they trained or they offered training to 4,000 people. Uh, this was two years ago, I think. And a lot of people went on the courses and one particular intern went on the course and he learned how to build bots. And he was only there in summer holidays, just learning the job. And the job that they'd given him was they phone you up. Every, we all get the call. Um, Hi, your uh, contract is coming to an end. Would you like to renew? We can offer you this phone, et cetera, et cetera. He went on the course and uh, realized that this was not the job he wanted to do while he was in university and created a bot to reach out, send an SMS and send an email to the person a month and a half in advance of the telephone call. And this has helped reduce their churn and uh, identified, I think it was $4 million of avoidable churn a month by contacting the people earlier. Now, the same guy is now part of a center of excellence in the, in the RPA team, but apparently it was his boss that noticed that at five past nine on Monday morning, he'd all of a sudden finished it and hit his quota. And he went to say, what happened? And he said, oh, I built this bot that did this. And it was, you know, c completely innocently. But, you know, I suppose um, laziness is the father of innovation. So, <laughs> uh, and to be honest with you, good for him. It's not the most fulfilling job for any human being, but it helped in the business case as well. So that's another good example. I always love that one. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it's in indeed fantastic. And so simplistic it, it looks like. And I think that's also one of the key reasons why RPA is so successful and so successful trend nowadays. So if you look to the key drivers, why RPA is gaining so much popularity right now, what are these type of drivers that drive this popularity? You know, um, Ronald, I'd like to say that, you know, we've created a market and I, I don't think we have, and I don't think there's any RPA provider has created anything. I think we're just in the right place at the right time when the perfect storm has happened with the right technology and the right companies and backing behind it. If you look at the, the, the global economy, first of all, everybody's talking about you need to digitally transform your business. If you're not a digital business, I'm not quite sure what business you're in nowadays. Everybody is a digital business in some form or another. Now, are we truly digital in our operations? No, we're digital on our front end and everybody has a, a nice website and a cool app and it's great. It's better for customer interaction, but we're still inefficient in our back office and we're inefficient in our back office because predominantly because of a lack of skills and process and re-engineering and capitalism where we're driven to make more as quickly as possible. Uh, the world's very, very fast at the moment. And that's another point. If you look at the S&P 500, Pierre Notre-Dame, who is the, obviously the ex-chairman and CEO of, of Accenture, said this at Davos, that over 50% um, of the S&P 500 have disappeared since the year 2000, and the main driver is digital. And if you think about that and you think about what's available now with regards to digital versus 19 years ago, 
you've almost got to accelerate your operations. That has to be your whole business from front to end, has to have some digital efficiencies around it because that's what it drives. Because, you know, digitally native companies, uh, you know, it's imagine being a retail company and competing against Amazon. Um, you know, it's very, very difficult, especially in the co- consumer goods space. Um, and they've bought Whole Foods, which which now offers you delivery, and you can you can do it through Alexa. So there's a constant evolution. They keep pushing the or drawing a new line in the sand to say this is what consumer expectation is. You know, if if, if I said to you, you can buy a television from me, and I'm a hundred pound or a hundred uh, euro cheaper than um, a uh, than Amazon, but I'm going to deliver to you in four weeks, and Amazon will deliver to you tomorrow. Who are you going to buy from? And I posed that question to a group of procurement professionals and everybody went Amazon and their job is to save money. So <laughs> everybody knows we don't get more time, but we can get more of everything else. So there's a new expectation of the consumer that everything has to move much faster, much more efficiently. And then we look at the skill shortages. I mean, I'm sure everybody knows that and everybody's heard this, that oh, there's, a, there's a battle for skills going on. That's been around since I started working. That's a long time ago that there's always a battle for skills. Well, if we look at the European populations, and this is on Stratfor, it's, I'm, I'm not making it up as such, but Stratfor say I think it's 27.6 million people leave the workforce in Europe alone between 2020 and 2060. I think it was 11.8% of the workforce disappears. And it's just because we're not baby boomers anymore and we don't have enough children to replace the, the current workforce. That's why immigration is, is popular and that's what's propped us up for so long. But if you think about that, we've got these new digital expectations that every company has to do. You have to modernize your business just to stay alive or you will be put out of business. We've got this lack of skills where there's not enough people trained to do the job. And then we don't have enough people to replace the current workforce over the next 40 years. With those combined, this has kind of created this perfect storm of we have to do more with less. We have to be smarter. We have to figure out what's human and what's robotic by nature. And if you think about outsourcing or the, the, you know, a lot of the business process outsourcing service is taking very smart people and giving them very mundane tasks. You know, if you go to India and to any of the centers in India, there's people with MBAs doing very mundane work, very smart people. And it's a waste of talent. We're not using talent in the right way. So I think that we're in a transition period where companies have to do more with less. We have to be smarter with what we do. And we have to start freeing up people's minds to continue to learn so that we, we engage more of the world and, I suppose, a better future than we possibly have if we don't do something quickly. And I like the way how you describe RPA and how broad it is applicable, which means there are so many different industries which will be touched by RPA. You mentioned already the, the service centers, but can you give some other examples from industries that's really taking off using RPA and benefiting from it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the market or the, the vertical closest to my heart is healthcare. You know, we're working closely with the NHS. It's no secret um, over here. We're doing a lot of work with, uh, with different NHS trusts over here. And the goal is to actually see what we can do to make an impact. So we've actually taken one of the trusts. I'm not going to mention any names. Uh, the others may be jealous, but we've taken one of them. And, and what we're doing is using it as a, a center of excellence. And we're not charging for the software and we never will. But we're looking at this particular trust and saying, what can we automate? How can we increase efficiencies across a very stressed healthcare system, which has been largely underfunded for multiple reasons, but 
I'm not political, so I'm not going to go into those. But if we look across Europe, every country in Europe has a, a national healthcare system, that is, and every single one of them is stressed at the moment, just as populations grow and swell and people move around and et cetera, et cetera. So what we're trying to do here is find processes that can either save time and give time back to the, the, the nurses and the doctors and save money, because the more money we save, the more we can, we can give back to the business. And an example of this is room triage, for example. If you're going to have your tonsils out or a very mundane operation that a lot of people have, and that might take half an hour. Um, some people, their tonsils come out really easily and they might take 10 minutes. What happens is the surgery room stays empty for those 20 minutes. Now, it's estimated that at one particular trust, that's around 70 hours per week of lost operating time. Then you think about all of the people that are waiting for operations. That's a huge saving that you can make. Now, I'm going to be frank. I don't think we'll ever get it down to 100% efficiency because it's not a factory. We're not rolling people in and out here. But if we can save you know, 50 hours of that and waste 20, it's still 20 wasted and we'll, we'll try and work on that. But we're trying to make those kind of impacts as quickly as possible. You know, a lot of things, there's a lot of inefficiencies across systems because these are big, complex organizations. The, the NHS in the UK is the fifth biggest employer in the world. I think there's 1.2 million people work there. So it's a huge task. A lot of people rely on it. A lot of people work there. And I think they've just grown over time to, you know, fit the swelling populations and try and accommodate for uh, better health care. And it's an incredible organization. But over time, it's kind of swollen at different places. And it hasn't been as linear in its growth as you would like it to be. But in saying that, there's a lot of efficiencies in it that can be gained. And it's all about, you know, can we save lives and make a real impact with this technology? And that's where our focus is on the NHS. Yeah, and the great part about this is if you dive deeper into processes, there's not only in, in healthcare, but probably everywhere, much more to gain than what you expect right now because you don't see it. But if you dive in depth and you can see that you can further automate it, then you really can find the benefits that you can achieve. But if you look, let's say the, the benefits are clear, I think, if you look from starting using it and yeah, I've implemented quite some software, I've sold quite some software, uh, but it's always a challenge from changing the processes, how to scale it, procuring the skilled resources to, to get it running, uh, to maintain the solution. What type of challenges do you see with companies that start using RPA? How do they start and what are they facing? That's a really good question. Um, and I think, you know, as markets evolve, and this is a very young market in, in terms of RPA as a, as a technology, as a term, but these things tend to start for uh, fixing a specific point or a problem or an issue. So you pick an area like finance and accounting, and you pick something like order to cash or, or, or accounts payable or whatever it might be. It's very transactional by nature. It's an easy fit for RPA, and it proves the concept very well. The challenge now is that you've got to bring IT with you. I can tell you everybody that right now. The first thing you've got to do is make sure that IT knows what you're doing, bring them on board, because this is a collaborative effort. RPA is not like other software where it's a big system, it's, it's implemented, and everybody follows the process. RPA can do lots of things. It's one piece of software that copies because it works through the user interface and in between there, it's just moving information around and making simple decisions for you. Whatever you program into it, that's what it'll do. But 
you've got to have IT on board with you because if underlying systems change, just as if you're logging onto a system and your password has to change, the bot has to know that the password has to change as well. So therefore, you have to be close to IT, although it's solving a business problem and, and it's very, very flexible IT need to be on board with you. So that's that's the most important thing when you're getting started. Picking a simple process is an easy way to prove the point. The question is now, I think, is this market is just evolving into a massive market. Yesterday, we announced that uh, we've got our second round uh, Series B funding, um, and uh, that's another $290 million in Series B, and we've just opened up Series B. So um, there's a huge amount of investor interest in this. You don't really have to prove the point. The point is there. The challenge now is how do we get into these massive scaled um, operations? So there's a bank in, in South America that we work with that has uh, well over, I think they're on 15,000 bots across their business now. And they're using it in a different way. They're thinking about the technology in a different way. The technology is highly secure, good RPA, and all the good companies will have very high levels of security around the technology. We're now web-based, so we can deliver it through the cloud, which offers a lot more flexibility and, of course, drives down the total cost of ownership, et cetera, et cetera. We still have an on-prem product that's that's uh, equally as advanced, but this offers a different way to adopt the technology. So I think the challenge now is not can we implement or can we fix our order to cash problem? Yes, we can. We know we can if we deploy it and we do it properly because lots of other companies have done this. How does this become a strategic imperative for us across our business? How do we start to free people up? It's not really about the technology. The big question now is that we know the technology works. How do we look at our business slightly differently? Because there's a lot of fear around RPA as well, Um, and and not just RPA, all of uh, AI technology that people are going to lose their jobs and masks and so on. We've been working with uh, Goldsmiths University in London for the past three years, I think. They've been doing consistent research for us into the impacts of automation, RPA, and AI technologies across businesses. So they speak to people, they speak to the managers, they speak to the, the directors, they speak to the heads of the business, and they try and measure all of these effects that, that are actually happening. And the truth is people are not losing their jobs. ANZ Bank in uh, Australia, it's the Australian New Zealand Bank, have been customers for a long time. And they've told us that the worst thing that you try and do is take the bot away from somebody after they've got it, because it takes away all of the work that you don't want to do, you know, the reporting and the, can I gather this information, the time spent processing stuff and filling in forms, the bot will do all of that for you. So um, they've said, oh, we want to take your bot and we're going to give it another license and teach it to do something else. And people have threatened to leave the company on the back of it. So, you know, I, I think that having that strategic imperative, thinking about it from a strategic point of view, and how is my business going to run moving forward? What skills do I develop my people into when they're freed up with and they've got more capacity to do more? What do we want that more to be? So um, there's, there's huge potential almost to tie your whole back office and front office together into this one office idea where everything's integrated and it's all very focused on the customer. And that allows you to have that digital mindset, which is really, you know, speed and customer centricity. Let's say the opportunities there are on management level, on every level where you have processes, which is everywhere. So which typical person within an organization addresses this opportunity and say, hey, we have to start with this. Is this management level? Is this um, VP level, C level? It's actually across the business. So it depends on the customer. 
you know, there's not a huge amount of large implementations at the moment. Most implementations around the world are 50 bots, let's say, or 50 automations. And companies are happy with that because the return on investment is very quick. Um, you know, within a year, you have a full ROI and then it starts to pay back. So there's some amazing stories where, you know, we've discovered 4 million avoidable churn kind of thing very quickly. And those things happen. But it's not necessarily the role. It's more about the person and the persona. It's people with vision and understanding and people who, in my opinion, care about the business. At the same time, there's people who want to be superstars. You know, we've seen uh, people come from back office shared service centers and move into the head of RPA and, um, and, 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 and banks and so on and become CLOs. The, the, there's a huge opportunity here once you learn what the how to leverage the technology and move it into uh, have a real impact on your organization. So I think it's not necessarily the role, more about how visionary are people and how well do they understand economies and what this technology can do for them. Based upon your experience, you travel all over Europe, all over the world, seeing clients starting with RPA, what type of advice do you have for the listeners that think, hey, I want to start with it as well? What steps should they take? Have a demo. We have a community edition. Uh, there's a free edition. You can download that for free and it's the full stuff. You can use it and, and play with it and do what you need to with it. You can't scale it, but it'll it'll give you enough of a, an appetite. If you just want to use it for yourself, go for it. It'll 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 make your life easier. I would suggest trying that first. Get in touch and ask for demos um, from multiple suppliers. You don't necessarily have to come to us. Um, but uh, spend time with, uh, with the organization. Understand what their vision is. Any new market like this has a lot of aggressiveness in it. And you need to understand and make sure that whoever you're working with, whether it be through a partner or directly through an RPA firm, make sure that they have a, a, a customer focused approach make sure that they're in it with you for the long term and they don't just sell and move on um that's probably the the biggest crime for the whole market at the moment and everybody's moved very very aggressively and very quickly and left some customers behind and um you know certain companies have fallen into a few problems because of the speed and and we just have to be a little bit careful as a market and, and be responsible for that so i would advise you to go out there and look at uh, speak to peers as well. There's a lot of webcasts about things that are working and what's not, and there's lots of events around. And just get in touch. And uh, I'm sure uh, I know Automation Air would be more than happy to uh, to answer any questions you have and, and and help you along the way. Yeah, and the opportunity is there. But I really like your your approach. Take a decent approach and look around what's possible versus diving into too fast and then and start with it without knowing where where you're heading to. And I think that's a nice wrap-up for, for our podcast. Thanks a lot for, for sharing all your experience, all, all your insights. And as mentioned in the beginning, uh, we share a coaching course for my series, How to Succeed in the Intelligent Economy. And you can find this link of this coaching series at my website. It's www.ronaldvanloon, it's my name, .com slash EM360 from Enterprise Management 360. And I give away a coaching series of $1,500 for free. So if you want to be successful and excel in the intelligent economy, just grab your chance. And for now, I would really like to thank all the listeners for joining us today. But special thanks to Rob for sharing all your great insights and experience. Thank you. Thanks, Ronald. You've been listening to the EM360 podcast. For more great content, 
head on over to em360tech.com.